Welcome to episode one of Dissecting the Frog, the DTF podcast. Thank you all for listening so much. We're going to have a great time. Uh, at least I am, because I'm the only one here. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is my new podcast. Uh, we will be doing everything comedy. Uh, this podcast will be 100% uh, about me doing what my friends either love or hate about me on an everyday basis, where I talk about comedy to no end. It is uh, completely absurd about how much I talk about comedy and dissect it, huh, right? Dissect it and go beyond any reason of how much I love to dive into the psychology, the joke structure, the site, like the, the societal effects of comedy just i get so excited about it and want to deconstruct every little piece of it so that's what we do here dissecting the frog where we analyze and pick apart comedy until it loses all meaning right so i hope that you guys are all comedy nerds if not by the end of listening to me maybe you'll find a newfound appreciation because it is a wonderful wonderful art form uh, and yes, it is an art form. Are we going to be pretentious here? Yeah, but do we know that it means nothing? Fuck yes. Yeah. So it's a humble pretension, if that's possible. Uh, episode one. Now you guys have seen it's called The Holy Trinity. Now when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to start this podcast, right? How I wanted to give you guys a nice introduction about what we're going to continue to try to do here. I was trying to figure out what topic could I lead everybody into, what topic topic could I have passion about? What topic could I show the most knowledge that I have, right? And it dawned on me, the one that I have the most knowledge on is me, right? So we're going to talk about me. This Holy Trinity are the three comics who have changed my comedy career the most, the three people I look up to the most, and then why they you know, affect me so much. Um, the three that we're going to be talking about is Eddie Izzard. He's what I call my Old Testament, Right? Huh? Holy Trinity. Say the religious thing. He's the Old Testament. He's the, the first uh, comic I really ever listened to. I think Glorious was the first co like adult comedy special I ever watched. Uh, probably back in 19... Oh, man. I was pretty young. It was probably 1998, 1999 when I first watched it. And I loved it. Right? Eddie Izzard's wonderful. Uh, well, so we'll get into him later. Uh, then we got... My New Testament, which is Patrice O'Neill, the great late Patrice O'Neill. He uh, unfortunately passed away, but he is my New Testament. He's the guy that taught me the new way of doing comedy, the fresh way of doing comedy, uh, looking up to him as much as possible. Still to this day, a uh, comedian who, beyond measure, went things by himself. He, he kind of went his own way uh, by hook or by crook. He said, fuck it, I'm doing it my way or the highway, and fuck all of you who are not, you know, going along with me. Absolutely adore him. We'll get him to him later, and then we're going to round it out with my savior of comedy, Colin Quinn. That's SNL's Colin Quinn, the man who I think is the perfect mixture of both my Old Testament and my New Testament, and who came into my life at least in my comedy life, at the right time. When I was trying to explore a different facet of my comedy, trying to meld, you know, the old style that I liked, you know, Eddie Izzard and the newer style that I discovered, Patrice O'Neill trying to put those together, and I discovered Colin Quinn stand-up and was forever changed, and he showed me that it could be done, could be done at a high level. So we'll get into all that, but we're going to first start with Eddie Izzard. Yes, Eddie Izzard. Uh, if you guys do not know who Eddie Izzard is, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background before we actually listen to the clip that I want you guys to hear so we can dissect the shit out of it. Eddie Izzard, uh, he was born in the colony of Aden. It's on the Arabian Peninsula, right? He is uh, 
British. His dad worked, I think, in the petroleum uh, industry, so they traveled all around. So he was born in the colony of Aden, moved to Northern Ireland during the Troubles of Ireland. It got a little froggy up there, huh? Then they went to Wales. There was, I believe, uh, some revolution or uh, kind of Northern Ireland-esque uh, little tiffs in Wales back in the 70s and 80s. So then they moved to Sussex, England, where he lived until he moved to London to start his uh, comedy career. Now, he did go to uh, Scotland uh, when he was in college, so he kind of started there doing like street performances and stuff like that. But London is where he started his comedy career. So he is a British comedian. Uh, in the lineage of Monty Python, he was never on Monty Python, but Eric Idle of Monty Python has said that he is the lost Python. Uh, so uh, he, he does follow that kind of absurdity. Man. Now I tell you all this to give you guys his worldview. We are going to get into that later to dissect the psychology of it, but this clip... Uh, I wanted you guys to listen to with that in mind that he is British and he has a more worldview than I think most people do. So we'll get into what he means to me and dissect the shit out of it. So enjoy this clip. Built up empires. We stole countries. That's what you do. That's how you build an empire. We stole countries with the cunning use of flags. Yeah. <laughs> you just sail around the world and stick a flag in. I claim India for Britain. And they go, you can't claim us, we live here. <laughs> 500 million of us. Do you have a flag? <laughs> we don't need a bloody flag, it's our country, you bastard. No flag, no country, you can't have one. <laughs> That's the rules that I've just made up. And I'm backing it up with this gun that was lent from the National Rifle Association. <laughs> that was it, you know. And Queen Victoria became Empress of India. She never even fucking went there, you know. She was one of our more frumpy queens. They're all frumpy, aren't they? Because it's a bad idea when cousins marry. <laughs> Bottom of the gene pool, you know, you're just scraping the barrel there. We've got... I haven't got enough for any more you royals there, sorry. <laughs> First rule of genetics, spread the genes apart, you know. But the royals are just obsessed with it. Are you a royal family? Are you a royal member? Well, then you can marry me because you're the same gene pool and our IQs will go down the toilet. Fantastic. <laughs> That's why there's no, you know, crazy royals. They're all kind of, hello, hello, what do you do? You're a plumber. What on earth is that? <laughs> so, yeah. And the Second World War, after the Second World War, that's when all the empires sort of dissolved. And uh, we didn't, we came first in the Second World War, but, we, you know, we were financially fucked by the end of the Second World War. Because there was a period of time, it was just us and the Nazis. And, and they'd been making weapons for ages. They had head start. We were going, get the tanks out, get the, we haven't got any tanks, get that ice cream van out there, get it out there. <laughs> Kill. All right, oh, fuck it. <laughs> everything, just throw everything at them, just... That's not harder. Orange fruities and zooms. Throw the zooms. Or... Fuck off, you bastard. <laughs> pots and pans. Get pots. Just throw the pots and pans at them. So the, by the time America came in, because you were watching a U.S. cavalry film, because the U.S. cavalry always comes in just towards the end of the film. Dun -dun 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 -dun. Okay, let's go, America. Dun -dun 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 -dun. Ah, I love the smell of Europe in the morning. So, how are you doing? And we were going, fucking hell, where have you been? Ah, uh, having breakfast. <laughs> so, what's going on? Hey. That was Eddie Izzard talking about flags and World War II. And that, that clip actually, it, you know, he has much more famous bits out there, but I chose that one specifically to show you, even, even in his most... Um, Average of moments, if, if I can say that without being condescending, even if in his most average of moments, he is still pushing the boundaries and showing me what I learned at a very young age and a very young age in comedy from Eddie Izzard. Now, this is what I learned from him more than anything else, right? 
when I first started comedy, and even when I first started watching comedy, Eddie was very unique among all other comedians, right? And it took me a long time to gather that you can talk about anything in stand-up comedy, right? And what I mean by that is not just, oh, whatever comes to your mind, right? You kind of have that, you can't really filter out what you can and cannot talk about on paper as jokes. But Eddie showed me that anything can be funny, right? From super taboo subjects, he does talk about death, not in that uh, clip, but he does talk about death in a lot of his material because his mother died when he was very young so he does tackle that and it makes it very funny but then in this clip he also shows me this that you could take something super fucking boring right something that even people that don't even like the subject right he could talk about 15th century spoons and be able to make it funny now in this instance he's talking about flags a theory about flags and about world war ii england right Two things that I'm sure I, – I adore it, right? I love history. I, and I love Eddie, Eddie Izzard, so I'll listen to him talk about whatever. But I would be safe to assume that majority of people don't give a fuck about either of those things if you were to give a TED Talk. But Eddie Izzard finds a way to make it funny. Now, how do you make those things funny? I would say it is 100% because of his genius – now – Whether or not he thought about it exactly this way, I think he is definitely aware of what he's doing. And this is what I mean. He has an intellectual, almost poetic structure to his jokes, okay? What he does is he takes a subject, like a boring subject like uh, World War II, right? And he frames it in the familiar, and then he punches it up with absurdity okay so it's your your thesis british is struggling then familiar which is world war ii then the absurd is british people fighting with ice cream trucks right and if you kind of pay attention to that not even kind of if you really dive into that that is a uh, it's it's beautiful in its simplicity and it's it's like I said, it's very poetic. It's an ABA structure. You have A. Okay, we have A. What are we talking about? We got a little bit of uh, let, let's start almost absurd. What what is nobody talking about? We're talking about British struggling, uh, British British struggles, right? As the empire. Okay, weird weird talk talk about. So how are you going to get us into it? Well, World War Two. Britain was the underdog. Everybody knows about World War II. You had to learn about it. It was a world war, right? So now you're in B. You're in the familiar. You you get what we're talking about. At least you have some picture in your mind. It's probably (laughs) Spielberg-esque type of uh, uh, environment in your head from, uh, what, Saving Private Ryan, whatever the fucking movie was I'm trying to think of. But you have, okay, so you have Absurd Topic, British Struggling Empire. Then you got the familiar, World War Two. Then you go back to A, Absurdity, Britain fighting with ice cream trunk, uh, ice cream trunks, ice cream trucks. That structure is simple to understand, right? You have an idiot talking to you right now, explaining it to you, and you can easily picture, oh, that's how you do it. But it is so fucking hard to implement, okay? I've been doing comedy as long as I've been doing it, trying to chase that idea that I, that I, and the study that I've had from Eddie Izzard, and fuck, it's hard, man. You could take any, I mean, again, you could take anything and do it, but to do it at a level that people will laugh at it, to fucking pay attention to it is. It, you you have to bow down to it again. That's why he's the Old Testament. I'll sacrifice a fucking goat to this motherfucker. Right? He he knows what he's doing and he's able to pull it off with such ease and kind of regal reverence. I don't even know if that makes sense. Just a, it, it's just a beautiful structure and he does it over and over again. Uh, the flag joke, right? He, he <laughs> you start with. A really quick thing, absurd thing. How do <laughs> how, how did the British Empire take over the world? Right, absurd thing. 
did it with the clever use of flags. S- arguably still absurd, but you, you get right away, and that's the first punchline, you get the first thing, it's like, oh yeah, I guess you that's how you kind of do it, you just go around, now you take an army, but every army takes a flag, and that shows the symbol, right? Then he goes back to the A structure of even more absurd than that, he has a not only he's he's not talking about oh you have a battle then you put the flag that would s- keep it steeped in reality. He makes it then absurd again by having a very casual conversation of oh we claim India in the name of England and we live here yeah but do you have a flag like oh and then they have no excuse it's almost like a child like children yelling at each other and then one person just makes up a rule and then everybody's like, I guess we have to play it because you're, you know what I mean? And so he takes that ABA structure and it even, even in that, that's why I chose those two jokes that the last one, the world war two one is very, okay. I can see absurd. I can see putting it in the familiar. Then I can see uh, making it abstract again. And then the first one I could see people go, well, that's not the same thing, but it is. If you look at it, absurdity is bringing up just simply bringing up something that isn't my mother-in-law or poop or pee you know what i mean taking something that is unfamiliar to people and going this is what we're talking about okay then his first joke is flags everybody's familiar with flags that's maybe not how it works but you get what i'm talking about and then they go okay now where he could lose them is if he said yeah you you fight with the people then you bring a flag and somehow that works." and see how that's not as funny Whereas if he just says the flag itself is the powerful thing, like, oh, we claim India. Why? Well, do you have a flag? Then the war is over. It's negating everything, which makes it even more absurd. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's it's almost controlled chaos the way he he handles it. You know, it, it, I feel like he's holding a sun and barely containing it. it and, and yet his face is just stone cold serious. He it just doesn't doesn't phase him at all. You know what I mean? That's almost the image I get every time he gets into a topic. I'm like, how the fuck are you going to make flags funny? How the fuck are you going to make World War II funny? And he always seems to pull it off. He always seems to pull it off with just absurdity and childlike whimsy is what he goes into it with. And people follow him. It it never ceases. And I, I, I find that there are more things that he does... Uh, that impressed me beyond reason, but this is the one that I learned real quickly. That I, I, I if I could, if I could even for a moment take a piece of that and have it in my career, just that joke structure, uh, I would be <laughs> be able to make some money at this job. And luckily, I've been able to pull some of that out so i i very much thank eddie is i he's got a wonderful career if you guys want to catch him he he's been in a few movies and tv shows uh he's been in uh the riches television show he was in oceans 12 and uh he has uh, a bunch of uh comedy specials uh that have been released so please check him out my two favorites are eddie is glorious and eddie Izzard. Uh, dressed to kill. Uh, so check those out. And we're going to move on to our next comic uh, in my life that really changed. Uh, we're going to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is Patrice O'Neill, the late, great Patrice O'Neill, born in New York, but started in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. He was actually, now you go, Patrice? Like, if you guys don't know him, if you're saying Patrice, so you're talking about a dude, yes. He has a girl's name, but he was actually named after an African leader. And unfortunately, Patrice died back in 2011. He was 41. Uh, he died of complications with diabetes. Uh, very sad. Lost him way too soon, like many comics. Uh, this guy... I discovered him in about 2008. Uh, he was on. He, he was a regular on Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, and also regular with Opie and Anthony, their serious uh, XM uh, radio show. Very very funny man. Uh, taught me a lot 
uh, about comedy. The main thing we will get into after this clip, uh, this clip that we're going to be listening to is uh, from his Comedy Central Presents Elephant under or Elephant in the Room. He now that this this bit I want you guys to know if you guys don't know who Patrice O'Neill is, picture this man telling these jokes. This is what we need to dissect after this. All right, Patrice O'Neill is a big black man, right? Picture six six and like three hundred and eighty pounds. I mean, big big dude, right? And he dresses like a 1970s jazz club owner. Okay, just he looks he looks like he <laughs> he looks like an extra in the Shaft remake movie. Okay, and he's got the swagger to back it up. So picture that while listening to this clip, and we'll come back and uh, dissect the shit out of it. Let me say this, man. I I'm a, what they I don't know what the term is for. Uh, extreme animal lover like I, I get sick when I see animals suffering and I know that's contrary to popular belief somehow <laughs> somehow it's spread out that uh, black people we like, we hate animals <laughs> like we can't stand dogs and cats and I, I don't get it that's the news doing that because they only show dudes that hate dogs like when the Vic stuff was happening, what do you think of Michael Vick and the dog? They just show every dude they show is like, man, dogs, man, dogs. I'll, I'll drown a dog in a bucket right now. We give me a dog. Where's a where's a dog at? I'll kill him. I hate dogs. I hate dogs. And then they'll show a white woman like tongue kissing a dog in the mouth, just to prove white people love dogs. And then they go back to him and he's mad. Like, look at this dirty white bitch tongue kissing. Devil. Devil bitch tongue kissing a, a jackal in the mouth. <laughs> Devil licking jackals. And then she's like, sad. It's like, it's some weird war. They always want black people and white people to be at war, man, for some reason. How can you hate a, I don't, people who hate animals. Like, I, I don't, I'm not going to go, I hate you, but it's, it'll be hard. It takes away a piece of how close we might be. If you go, I hate animals. Like, somebody look at a baby seal and go, oh, I can't wait to hit this mother in the face. <laughs> I hate baby seals all cute. What the you looking at, baby seal? Like... You ever see them sad animal commercials that come on like during like four in the morning during Three's Company reruns? And it catch you out of nowhere. You be watching Three's Company and then, ooh, like, and that's like it'll be a kitten and they slow motion the kitten up and the kitten, ooh, ooh, and it's a, kitten got a pencil in his head. Like somebody stuck a pencil in his face. There's a pistol sticking out of his face. And they put fun facts, 15,000 kittens are stabbed in the head with pencils each year. You'd be like, who is stabbing kittens in the face with pencils? Why? It's a pencil Then they'll show a bunch of puppies shoved in a, a container or a cup. Puppies in a cup. Missing their feet. It's wrong. All right, that was Patrice O'Neill uh, talking about puppies in a cup. Missing their feet. It's wrong. That, that it's one of my favorite jokes of all time, let alone one of his. Uh, my wife loves it too. We quote it probably once every month. It somehow comes up. We got two dogs, so we try to miss their feet. That man, uh, what a what a beacon of light and truth and honesty and comedy uh, that was taken from us too soon. But man, I learned a shitload from him. One thing. So we'll get into this. One thing that every comic. If you are a comic yourself, aspiring to be comic, or know somebody who is a comic, or just know comedy in general, one of the first things you are told or lessons you're taught 
is to try to find your voice. Now, finding your voice means figure out how, figure out what your opinions are, what you sound like and who you are, and put that up on stage, right? Like you shouldn't, unless you're going for a character, you on stage should be yourself. Maybe a little bit heightened because you are controlling 200 people and that doesn't happen in everyday life. Uh, but very much like take who you are on uh, off stage, what makes you enjoyable, your own viewpoints, and put that up on stage. That is a very, very simple, almost dumb, idiotic thing uh, to think about. But fuck, if I can speak for myself, it's one of the hardest things that you can do in comedy. The rule is that it takes 10 years to do. I think for some of us, I'm pointing at myself, it takes even longer to figure out how you make your uniqueness showcase on the stage. And Patrice taught me maybe a path to go down to do that. And... This is what I this is what I viewed from this man, right? He taught me that your point of view can showcase your life theories that you have. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of comics, myself included, and, uh, and I'm trying to work out of it, that your point of view isn't just, I was walking down the street one day and I reacted to this thing, that thing, and the other thing, right? Or... Uh, I saw or heard this, now let me rant about this, okay? That, that is a reactionary point of view. It is a point of view. If you're a reactionary person, sure, go with it. But the thing that Patrice taught me is analysis, perspective, and overall, like, th thoughtfulness of your own environment, right? So this joke in particular, <coughs> I played out the whole thing. Patrice was talking about, uh, right away, he gets into it, uh, I am a extreme animal lover, right? And then the, the uniqueness that he comes about it as a big black man, he says, and I don't know where black people got the stereotype that we hate dogs. And then he goes into the, man, I'll, d I'll drown a dog in a bucket right now, fucking jackal, jackal kissing bitch, right? So he, he brings race into it, but that's because he is black, right? He has a unique perspective. And just that first joke, right? You break down that first joke and the point of view, right? The point of view that I'm talking about, like if, if a lesser person was doing that joke, they would have said, you know, pro probably brought up Michael Vick and just went on a diatribe, a racial diatribe of like, you know... <laughs> I'm sure there's a bunch of rednecks out there, like, I'm sure there's a bunch of rednecks out there that are uh, killing dogs. Why does it always got to be the black man, this, that, and the other, right? Whereas Patrice, with that joke, you realize he took in his environment and figured out exactly how he felt about it, right? There's a difference between being reactionary and being thoughtful, making up a theory, and he does that with blinding colors, right? He does it real subtle. It's subtle, and he, he is he is reacting to that. But you get the sense that he... So then there's the puppies in the cup thing, the uh, fucking Sarah, Celine Dion, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, you know, the <laughs> the goddamn puppy song that always... I'm not here to tell you about the fucking puppy song, but you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's seen that fucking commercial right you get the sense that he what has watched that right reacted to it very heartfelt and was like wow i'm a i'm a real puss right i'm supposed to be this tough guy and i'm being taken down by a fucking singing bitch over a one-eyed dog right and then i get the sense that he's watched a new segment new segments where it's depicting uh, black folks as, like he said, going against <laughs> liking pets and animals. And he had to rectify with himself, like, where the fuck did this come from? Now let's create, let's create a perspective on it. And that, that was an eye-opening thing for me is that there's always a, your point of view is, your point of view is supposed to be the small thing. That's supposed to be the thing that people can relate to, right? Oh, I can empathize with that man, right? 
but to bring people's empathy like once you earn the crowd's empathy to bring that into a higher idea into a uh like a social stat like a social construct right is wonderful and to be able to do that before you go into the uh immediate part is even better right now if he would have done the you know the one-eyed dog joke or the puppies in a cup joke before the uh you know black people hate dogs i would be like okay i can see how he did that and why he did that and why he was able to get away with it but to bring the social idea before it and still have it be funny is master class level right you can get people's empathy and then move it into a bigger idea which i think is a at least what I have been trying to implement, that's how I've been doing it. Trying to do the empathy first and then moving people's empathy to a bigger idea. But this motherfucker is such master class, able to talk to you in a way that you'll pay attention. He starts with the bigger idea and then moves it into an empathetic thing. And that is very hard because it's getting, it's definitely getting people to believe this idea. And then it just gets better from there because then they're, they're, they're already on your side, and then putting empathy in there just makes them even more on your side, which is why he got so many pops. It is it's, – it's honesty that doesn't – it's honesty that he didn't show like Richard Pryor because everybody, including myself, everybody in comedy seems to equate honesty with, oh, I've got to talk about all the fucked up shit in my life. Like unless I'm doing that, I ain't being honest, right? Like Richard Pryor with his match joke. Uh, if you guys don't know the joke, Richard Pryor lit himself on fire doing crack, and he compared himself to a, a matchstick, right? But he has a big thing like that. Whereas Patrice O'Neill, he's being honest just with his, his, himself, really. He's just kind of putting himself out there, in even in the most uh, you know dumb ways, and. Let's be honest, this joke is kind of a played out topic. It's not a played out joke, it's a played out topic. I've seen a lot of comics do the, wow, why are these dog commercials trying to get me, right? Everybody does a fucking joke like that. It's played out, it's boring. But Patrice's joke isn't that isn't it's not hinged on it it's hinged on him it's hinged on him feeling something off of that joke and that is what he taught me is that when it comes from you you can put your own theories into it it's not it's not just how did i react to this how did i feel about it it is on top of that how does this change my view or my thoughts on something now let's make it a bigger idea and he did that better than anybody else, I think, because Patrice was – his whole act feels like he's just talking to you on a park bench. He's just pontificating and theorizing with you and for you. And I, that's something I, I will take away for the rest of my life with that man. He, he – th this joke I picked out because it wasn't th – the topic wasn't unique, so I wanted to showcase to you guys that he could take even the most played out shit and make it – from a unique perspective and funny as shit and uh, catchy. I, I, I guarantee for the rest of the day, you're going to go puppies in a cup. So yeah, he, he really, he really helped me discover that your point of view can showcase your life theories beyond all measure. Wonderful, wonderful man. I'm going to miss him very much. So let's move on to my savior in comedy. Uh, Colin Quinn. Yes, that Colin Quinn. You guys are going, what? Are you talking about Ninth of Roxbury, Crocodile Dundee 2, Colin Quinn? Yes, SNL's own anchor, Colin Quinn. He was born in Brooklyn, New York. I believe he's lived there his whole life. He lives in Manhattan now, but man, he, he lives in New York his whole life. He is a New York guy. And before we listen to his clip, uh, he, he has done other things. He is a man that talks about every topic possible, which is why he's a great mashup between Eddie Izzard 
and Patrice O'Neill. He talks about every topic just like Eddie does, and he's learned experience into comedy theory like Patrice O'Neill was. He, he he mashes them up perfectly, and he does talk about every... This clip, not in particular, doesn't really showcase it, but uh, I, I picked this clip out for a reason, but this... Uh, clip that we're going to listen to is from his one-man show, Unconstitutional. The whole show is about U.S. history, the the Bill of Rights. He has another uh, one-man show that he did a few years ago called Long Story Shorts about world history. And his stand-up comedy is completely different from all of it, but he does these one-man shows that are very stand-up comedy-esque, as you will see by this clip. Very funny. Let's listen to him, and we'll come back, and we'll dissect the shit out of it. All right, enjoy Colin Quinn. But if you even mention ethnicity, people feel a little bit... Your stomach feels tense. If you even mention someone's ethnicity, everyone's like, wow, wow. If I told you a true story, this Mexican guy came up to me, ho, whoa. (laughs) Why does this guy have to be Mexican in your true story? I don't understand. (laughs) You know... You have to speak in the most idealized, pasteurized, homogenized, colorblind at all. You know, you feel bit, if you notice, you're like, this guy comes up to me, could have been Mexican. I don't know. I don't care. I shouldn't have been a Central American, Hispanic, Latino. It was a man, all right? Wait a minute. I was sexist. I don't know if it was a man. Could have been a woman. Could have been LGBT. I don't know. I mean... It was a, a life form came up to me. You know what? <laughs> Hold on. I'd like to uh, start the story by apologizing for... <laughs> obviously, I'm coming from a place of Western, entitled, unconscious, paternalistic fear of the other and, um, you know, non-heteronormative, gender-specific. Uh, I'd like to start by saying that this apology has been a learning experience for me and, a, you know... A teachable moment, and I think I'm going to do some soul searching, and hopefully, <laughs> down the line, I can start a nonprofit for other people <laughs> that are telling stories. You know. And sure, you applaud, but half the country, when you tell that apology, groveling, they're like, "Now you're starting to understand." <laughs> That is Colin Quinn talking about PC culture and only a way that Colin can do. Now, before we get into it, really why I picked that clip for Colin is to show where where, where and what I think Colin does best. Colin is as bold as Patrice O'Neill was, able to just be honest with himself and with the audience, where Patrice would talk about anything and everything, uh, regardless of how you felt like it in the audience. He was like, no, this is funny. You're going to listen to me. Colin Quinn does the same thing. And Colin Quinn's mastery, at least on this one, was to show, like pull back the curtain on PC culture, right? Now, he wasn't being mean about it. He wasn't doing the, why can't I say the N-word? I've seen enough people do that. I've seen enough people just say that online. It's dumb, all right? That's not what he was going for. But what this joke did, and the, the, the beauty of it and the psychology of it, is he satirically, like very subtly, he was like, it was a fillet, right? He, he didn't cut into the meat. He just pulled off the rotten skin to show everybody, like, yeah, this is bullshit, right? In that joke, he's just trying to tell a story, right? He, I mean, he sets it up like, oh, you, you can't talk about anything now, right? And where lesser comedians would go like, why can't I say this thing and that thing? Colin just acts like he's going to tell a story and shows how ridiculous it is to give a little descriptor or apology for saying anything and you can't get anywhere right descriptions are not meant that there's a difference between descriptions and stereotypes and there's a difference between uh offensive and naive i guess Uh, i know i sound ignorant but I, i think colin quinn's joke perfectly sums up the culture of victimization that we are in right now where it's not everybody's out to get people and it actually 
right? Even even if that's a dumb point to say not everybody's out to get somebody, I'll even take that out. Let's say that everyone is out to get people, but that fight of words, I think, actually takes away. I think this is what Colin Quinn was going for too. Is I think that takes away from the actual stance that we should be taking. So Colin Quinn starts off the joke of like, uh, yeah, well, I can't say that she was a, a man, or I can't say that she was a she, uh, maybe she was a man, uh, I don't want to give labels, and he just keeps going, and then he's like, well, I can't say life form, I'm sorry, I'm going to start my own, <laughs> I'm going to start uh, my own charity for other people like me who try to tell stories and don't know how to do it. And it just devolves. It's so far down that you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. But it that's the point. He's showing, he's pulling back and showing that the emperor has no pants. He's showing that the wizard is not a wizard. He's a guy behind a curtain. This shit is super dumb when you go too far down. And on top of that, the, the satire of I'm going to start a charity for people like me who d- can't tell stories right like i'm gonna start a charity for straight white men so we can put money to enlightening straight white men on how to tell a story i think that's an amazing amazing twist on how to pull back the veil saying like oh okay so is it getting so bad that we need to take resources funds and time to enlighten these people or do you think it'll naturally happen I think, I mean, that joke is so fucking funny to me of saying like, oh yeah, okay, well, if if this is such a problem and we need to be enlightened, you know what, let's take some money out of, uh, I don't know, poverty, uh, actual real systemic racism that could be affected by funds and energy and just put it into a bunch of old white men sitting around trying to figure out how to tell a story without offending the girl at the end of the bar or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, very funny. It, and I sound, I sound ignorant, I'm sure describing it, but that joke you heard, it, it really is that it's pulling back the veil on something that is hard to talk about in every day without jokes. Clearly I'm doing it right now. It, he, he, and, and I think that's what I like about Colin the most uh, he taught me not only that you could put those two things that Eddie taught me and Patrice taught me, you can put those together, but he also, I think more importantly, taught me, you know, what it is to be a real comic. Uh, Colin Quinn, I believe, is the most distilled comedian I've ever seen in my life. He's very unconventional in the way that he, uh, his, his rhythmic pace in his comedy, as you can see, he, he was very mumbly, <laughs> mush mouth is kind of what he's known for. But he, 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 has a, he has a very, we're just hanging out on a street corner type thing, even in a bar. Like, he just has this almost pace that he's in a conversation with you, but he's too impatient to wait for you to respond. So he says what you're thinking. You ever been in a conversation with people like that? where you're walking down the street and they say, oh, where do you want to go to eat? Yeah, I might actually, before you answer, I'm actually hungry for like hot dogs or pizza. You want hot dogs or pizza? Actually, I know a place that sells hot dogs and pizza. So they have conversations with you without you even saying anything. They initially asked you, are you hungry for anything? Then they say, oh, actually, I want hot dogs, but here's an option for you. Do you want hot dogs or pizza? So right there, there's like three questions you haven't answered, and yet the last thing that they say is, hey, do you want hot dogs? Actually, I know a place that sells both, so we'll go there. And it's like, well, what about if I'm not hungry, if I don't like hot dogs or pizza? What the fuck, right? I feel like that's the way Colin Quinn's uh, set is. Anytime I listen to him, it's almost like I want to chime in and be like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about this. And he, he... Either says what I'm thinking, steamrolls. It, it's it's a very, very conversational, and conversational is super hard to do because again, heckler. Like I said, I even as a comic, I want to pipe in, right? Even when I'm watching him, I want to pipe in. That allows for hecklers, and yet Colin Quinn is so masterful. It's a conversation that you want to keep listening to. 
it's that's a that's an amazing ability to do that to a crowd full of a thousand people in a theater is hey i'm having a conversation with you i accept that you're having a conversation with me right but i am so interested in what you're saying i'll let you steamroll over me it he almost makes a friendship out of the whole audience and that's the most distilled version of comedy I think you can ever get. Because comedy inherently is the dumbest fucking thing in the world. It's a great art form. I love it to death. I wouldn't be talking about it endlessly if I didn't. But I really think it spurned out of people being lazy, right? I think that's what all comics are. Just lazy. How can we get out of doing real work? You know, when everybody was hunting and gathering, the first caveman comics were like, oh, you know what? How I don't really want to do that. You know what? Tonight, I'm going to just make everybody laugh. Uh, I'll sit around a campfire. I'll tell them what I think about the stars. And then occasionally, I'll fight in, I'll, I'll fart into the communal fire and make everybody laugh. So that way, we can get drunk. And then when they want me to go out and hunt and gather tomorrow, I'll be like, ah, we partied so much last night. I'm going to stick in. And they like me so much, they let me sleep on the fucking shagged saber-toothed tiger rug or whatever. You know? That's basically what comics are. right? We're not really giving anything back to society. Other than just being, you know, silly goofballs. And, Colin, and and to get back to Colin Quinn, he revitalized my comedy, my love of comedy, when I kind of discovered him a couple of years ago. He revitalized me showing that you can be a likable old white man talking about whatever the fuck you want, all right? And I know that makes me sound... Like a bitter, like, well, I can't talk about anything. To be honest, I was feeling that way, but it was because I wasn't in the right mindset. I wasn't in the right frame of reference of maybe I shouldn't tell people how it is. Maybe I should just tell people how it is for me. And that's what Colin Quinn did. He, he took, hey, talk about anything you want, but just like Eddie Izzard, right? But instead of going absurd, put Patrice's here's my theory about it and see how that works. And Colin Quinn does it masterfully. People will listen to him because he's not preaching to you, really. He's just pointing out what he sees from his point of view. And you can take make it or take it, right? And at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter. That's the best part about comedy. And that's what I learned about Colin. He, he, he talks about so much shit and he does it in such a funny satirical almost nihilistic way that it really revitalized like oh i'm doing this for laughs i'm not doing this for anything else i'm not doing this i mean partially i got into it for attention but you know you, you you whenever you do something long enough you tend to forget why you loved it and colin quinn i have to thank him forever uh really showcases why i love comedy it's because you get away with fucking robbery. <laughs> you do comedy. You get paid for comedy, and it really feels like you just farted into the campfire and someone handed you a buffalo leg, and you're like, "All right, thanks for doing that." Uh, next night, I'm gonna say that your wife is fat in front of everybody. Uh, I'm gonna say that you're the shittiest hunter in the world, and then you're gonna give me a free jug of wine that we made. <laughs> And and Colin Quinn does that spectacularly. He, he he is able to pull back the veil on people and do it in such a communal, like fun guy way that he, uh, he you know he's able to make a living. And I I saw a little bit of myself in that, and I saw a little bit of Patrice, and I saw a little bit of Eddie Izzard and Colin Quinn. So that's why he's my savior. And I have to give it up to that man. I hope that you guys will look him up. He he has, uh, again, multiple Netflix specials. Look all of them up. Patrice O'Neill, uh, I will say, look up Elephant in the Room. Colin Quinn, I'll say, look up Long Story Short. And Eddie Izzard, I'd say, look up... Uh, I'm going to go with Glorious. That, that one's my favorite one. I'd look up Glorious on all those. So those would be... My suggestions for you guys. Um, we're going to get out of here. Thank you very much for listening to the first episode of Dissecting the Frog. Uh, we're going to do this on the first episode. Because I talked about myself, we're going to end with myself, a uh, set that I did. So that way you guys can judge and notice that not only uh, can I 
not implement everything I was saying, but when you dissect the frog, you lose all meaning in what it used to be. <laughs> which is why it's called this. Uh, shout out to my friend Kevin White. He named the podcast, which is what this podcast means, is after you dissect the frog enough, it stops being a frog and becomes a pile of mush. I, in my comedy, is the pile of mush that comes beyond it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Enjoy my set. Judge the fuck out of it. I don't care. I love you all. I appreciate it. I will see you all next time. Join us back on DTF Podcast next week. Thank you very much, guys. I'm trying to be a man as much as possible, and being a pixie, it doesn't work out very well. Let's be completely frank. Drag queens are more masculine than I am, okay? Every drag queen I've ever seen is just a giant jacked man mountain in a dress. Like, they look like one of the 300 Spartans, but in whore makeup. You know what I mean? That's why I don't get homophobic people. I hate homophobic people who are like, oh, gay guys are so girly and feminine. Like, which ones are you collecting? Because everyone that I have has a lot of testosterone. Like, I don't know which is kind of the point. You know what I mean? I hate homophobic people. I really do. You know who I hate more, though? Gay people. I just... <laughs> but it's, it's honestly because I'm Irish, all right? If you're gay in here, let me say directly to your face, uh, I love whoever you want. Just give me back my rainbows and fairies. What the hell? Those are mine. That's 5,000 years of my heritage just swept out from underneath me because you think it's pretty. Yeah, I know. That's why I like it too, okay? That's not yours to take. I love rainbows. Rainbows, to me, are these arching bows of color that dip down into a pot of gold that represents hope, all right? It's not a curved technicolor shaft that goes down into two black testicles or whatever. I don't know the symbolism, okay? And fairies, I love fairies, all right? I'm a man and I could admit, I love fairies because to me, a fairy is a mischievous creature that flies around, grants wishes, and then fights pirates with the Lost Boys, right? It's not a 22-year-old drunk gay boy at a party in sparkly hot pants and butterfly wings hitting on me because we happen to be wearing the same thing. That's not what that is. <laughs>